Welcome to episode 264 of The Digital Life, a show about our insights into the future of design and technology. I'm your host, John Follett, and with me is founder and co-host, Dirk Niemeyer. Greetings, listeners. For our podcast this week, we're going to take a look at the use of gaming techniques or uh, scenario techniques for imagining and, uh, and planning around emerging technologies and their effects and consequences. In particular, my eye was drawn to the Johns Hopkins University's Center for Health Security, which just recently sponsored an exercise called Clade X, which was held in Washington, D.C. At that event, pandemic planners, say that quickly, took a look at the threat posed by synthetic biology. So about a decade ago, this same group took a look at a terrorist scenario, which turned out to be um, prescient insofar as it was uh, 2001 prior to the events of September 11th. And some of the aspects of this uh, scenario planning event that they held turned out to uh, at least have uh, factual implications as uh, uh, September 11th and the uh, subsequent anthrax terrorist attacks occurred all sort of within that same time period. Yeah. Particularly notable, the scenario was planned around an Al-Qaeda operation, which this was the uh, scenario that they had gamed just slightly before the attacks, which uh, is kind of disturbing if you... Uh, if you think about it. So well, in some ways it makes you more um, confident that they have some idea of what they're doing, you know, that they're sort of prescient in that way, right? Yeah. Uh, so um, so Johns Hopkins has this Center for Health Security and they're a research center and the purpose of their center is to support the organizations and systems and policies that are essential to preventing either preventing or responding to public health crises. So that's the purpose of the center. So with that preamble, let's turn then to this gaming program that they had last month. And so this was built around the idea that there would be a pathogen that was created via uh, synthetic biology. And so they used real uh, epidemiological models and this was created by one of their expert physicians and pandemic specialists. So by the time they had finished creating this scenario, they realized that they couldn't share all of the details because it was so sensitive. Uh -oh. um, meaning that not only is this sort of a realistic scenario, but they actually don't want to be giving it out as a template for some foolish person to, uh, to try out or some group to try out. The, the whole purpose of this kind of scenario gaming is to consider, you know, some of these scenarios within, you know, sort of the ethical and policy considerations that, that are not typically addressed, whether that's within, you know, the halls in Washington, D.C. or in the corporate boardroom, right? So, so what happens when these emerging technologies you know, sort of rise to the surface in in some area that is that is detrimental to to human society. So at the end of this scenario, they put forth a set of policy recommendations. It's not just, you know, a bunch of hand waving and then they walk away from it. This this is uh, 
conducted with you know some very smart, experienced people around the table, and then they they produce a set of policy recommendations, which we'll take a look at in a minute. But Dirk, for for the purposes of our show, uh, what fascinates me about this is the use of you know this this gaming technique, these design techniques to really consider policy and ethics around emerging technologies. What were your takeaways when you were uh, sort of ex- examining this event? I thought it was interesting. You know, there's a long history of this kind of um, wargaming scenario planning that is done, you know, by the government or in in organizations or groups such as, you know, such as this one. So there was nothing surprising about it conceptually. Certainly the the sort of predictive nature of uh, the things that they they did in 2001 was a surprise and again sort of in some ways again a pleasant one because it shows that they're thinking about things that are real and concrete and it stands to reason then that if we can act upon those predictions and prepare we'll be much better off so that was that was a little bit heartening um, but yeah you know in the specific examples of the more modern things I mean the thing that really uh, hit me the most was the fact that, you know, there, the sort of the, the framing of the article is sort of gloom and doomy, but it, it also said, well, look, you know, now we're faster at developing new vaccines than ever before. Uh, so, you know, it, it's potentially just days to develop a vaccine for a, a pandemic like the one that they were talking about in that, in that, um, I don't think it's technically as a war game, but I'll call it a war game. So that felt really good. You know, it, it you can see the, the progress on the preventative side as well as the um, the antagonistic side. And that's, um, you know, somewhat to be expected. But again, it's just sort of heartening that, that that's what's going on. But, you know, I did just have some familiar with wargaming and, and this kind of sort of large-scale um, scenario planning exercise in the past. So um, structurally, there wasn't too much surprising there, more just some of the, the outcomes. Yeah, I think that... For me, this kind of scenario planning and gaming is not my background, not my experience. So I'm a so, gaming geek, you know. Yeah. That's my nerd part. So that's why I know about it. Yeah. But I was doing some reading on the practice around design fiction, so which has some similarities to to what the Johns Hopkins Center was doing. And the, there are a couple areas of design fiction that I thought were worth highlighting. One was that you know, as you're you're working through these scenarios, part of the value of it is to communicate with the public about the scenario taking place, right? So, I mean, just the fact that we're discussing it on the show, you know, the the idea is that there's a need for the government to plan around pandemics that are man-made and not just naturally occurring. You know, they're already achieving part of that goal, right? The, yeah. the communication goal. The second part was, you know, using fictional scenarios to evaluate, which is obviously what, you know, uh, why they held it in the first place and and what the policy uh, recommendation, what, what the purpose of generating those is. Thirdly, uh, to put the technology into a human context, so it's not just uh, sort of an ethereal, engineered piece, but rather something that that affects real you know, human beings. And then, and then finally, the ethical and, and social considerations, which unfortunately, uh, in this scenario that they were gaming, the, uh, the social considerations were quite negative. I think uh, at the conclusion of their game, they, you know, had millions of people were, were killed by the pandemic. And, uh, 
you know, the first vaccine had failed and, uh, you know, it was, it was a, a disaster of, you know, monstrous proportions. But the idea that all of these elements, which are quite possible and which require discussion prior to them actually happening, bringing this to the, the forefront of public discussion is something that uh, I think design can help draw out, right? So we talk about emerging technologies all the time on the show, and the implications of these technologies are very much inside baseball, I think. And largely, the first part of this, you know, design fiction, you know, the communication part, like that is just not, it doesn't really happen until that technology is embedded into people's lives. Then we start discussing, oh, what the implications are, what were the unintended consequences, you know, how is it affecting us? You can see this with examples of every technology from the automotive industry all the way to the, the mobile computing industry. We sort of let the technology roll out on its own, and then we discuss what the implications are afterward. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, there's a couple things to talk about here. I mean, one... One is we don't want to take it too literally either, right? I mean, it is, at the end of the day, a game. And it's a game designed by a one person, uh, Tara O'Toole. I've, I've never heard of her before. For her to be making this game, she must be very knowledgeable and very talented. So I don't want to take anything away from her. However, she is bringing to it some limit of knowledge, some types of bias, and also some objectives other than coming up with essential truths for the world to know. She's trying to test these people. She's trying to test these systems and find issues, root out problems with them. So there's not a one-to-one between the assumptions that this game makes about the world and how the world would really behave. So I think that's important to say. And, 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 and I say it and bring those up, again, really admiring what she did. I'm not capable of designing something like she did. It's, it's pretty cool. So, so the other thing that I, was, I, I really found notable is the fact that the, the creation of these sort of things has changed so much since 2001. So the anthrax terrorist attack, for lack of a better word, in 2001, was perpetrated by an American scientist. And the amount of people who had access to anthrax or were able to manufacture anthrax in 2001 is a microscopic number. I don't know what that number is, but it, it was difficult, it was expensive, it was highly controlled. The, the, the risk with the technologies we're developing today is that they are increasingly accessible to more and more people. You don't need to be an expert with a PhD. You don't need to have top secret credentials or whatever the different bars were, more and more, some random bro who researches it could homebrew something that would be really catastrophic. I'm not knowledgeable enough to know where on the continuum we are from old days almost impossible. You know, today, is it is it dead simple or just simpler? I'm not sure, but I know how the technology is moving and it gets simpler and cheaper and more accessible every day. And that's happening in a world where we have you know, school shooters and people who go off the deep end and do really dumb stuff. And we talk about guns, you know, assault guns and weapons being dangerous and maybe they should be banned. I, I happen to think they should. However, the, the high end of death and destruction from those worst case is in the hundreds, which is awful. I'm not saying it's not, but we're talking about with different designer drugs, different designer viruses, 
we're talking about things where it could be in the millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions. And if it becomes too accessible and in the hands of, of too many people who are not qualified from the standpoint of mental health, uh, among other things, to be creating that and doing things with it, it's, it's wicked dangerous. So there's a lot of, of questions and concerns about that. You know, in the, the democratization of science and, and knowledge, there's so much good of it. But at some point, at some point, we're going to make a grave error and the wrong person is going to get their hands on things they shouldn't. And a lot of people are, are going to die. The question is, what do we do after that? And, and I'm not sure what we'll do. Yeah, I think from a, uh, from a technology standpoint, at least the way I understand it, I mean, there's, you can certainly create a, on your computer, you could create the, the sequence for this, uh, this virus, but then you would need to actually get it manufactured somewhere. And therein lies the uh, sort of the gate, right, between the- For now. Right. So, so the manufacture of, you know, the creation of that sequence, you're not going to email that off to XYZ lab and they're not going to say, oh, this looks like a harmless pathogen. Let's, let's just manufacture, you know, uh, a few ounces for you and mail it back to you. That's, that's not going to happen. Sure. But it's, I mean, it's a world of 3D printing. I mean, it's a world where we are creating highly localized abilities to manufacture things that once needed to be done in a factory or in a much more complicated and difficult manufacturing environment. And there's some intersection of the two where even if, you know, there are certain um, chemicals or compounds that are illegal or are difficult to get a hold of, there's some overlap between those two places where really gnarly things could happen. Certainly, that is a consideration that as the technology improves, that could become a problem for sure. I, I think about the, um, you know, whether we're talking about uh, an example from making a bomb or, you know, getting chemicals that, I mean, you can get all sorts of dangerous chemicals just walking into your uh, pool store, right? So there are some limitations in place. And then there is some stuff that unfortunately in a free society, <laughs> you're going to have to make a decision like who has access to, to what materials. And that seems like a, like a good point to uh, leave our discussion for today. But suffice it to say, we'll continue to discuss the idea of uh, design fiction and gaming as, as a way of sussing out the important details for evaluating emerging technologies. I think it's a, it's a fascinating area of design, and I find it really interesting that this John Hopkins Center is using a technique like that for developing their policy recommendations. Listeners, remember that while you're listening to the show, you can follow along with the things that we're mentioning here in real time. Just head over to thedigitallife.com, that's just one L in The Digital Life, and go to the page for this episode. We've included links to pretty much everything mentioned by everyone, so it's a rich information resource to take advantage of while you're listening, or afterward if you're trying to remember something that you liked. You can find The Digital Life on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Player FM, and Google Play. And if you'd like to follow us outside of the show, you can follow me on Twitter at John Follett, that's J-O-N-F-O-L-L-E-T-T. And of course, the whole show is brought to you by GoInvo, a studio designing the future of healthcare and emerging technologies, which you can check out at GoInvo.com. That's G-O-I-N-V-O.com. Dirk? You can follow me on Twitter at DNemeyer. That's at D-K-N-E-M-E-Y-E-R. And thanks so much for listening. So that's it for episode 264 of The Digital Life. For Dirk Niemeyer, I'm John Follett. 
and we'll see you next time.